Good, thank you so much. Well, praise the Lord. I'm so thankful again that we can come together in the afternoon. And I must say, except for this little cluster of here that happens to be down here, I'm glad everybody spaced out so I can look around like this and I don't have to just look around like this. So uh, thanks for spa uh, spacing out. It, um, I I'm sure, you, you know, for whoever's watching the, um, this afternoon, it probably looks like a whole bunch of people here because I'm going like this. But uh, anyways, we've got a good group here. So thankful for you, and so thankful again for this time so that we can have, again, this wonderful fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoy one another's company. And I'm so thankful again for the Word of God and, and how practical, how uh, wise it is, how um, challenging it is in each one of our lives. And last time we started going through what, what happens to be the second half of the Gospel of John, many times called the Book of Passion. Uh, because in it, again, we have the passion, we have Jesus going to the cross, we realize this is the night in which he was betrayed, and we just had an introduction to that last time we were together when we looked at um, uh, uh, John chapter 13 and verse number 1, and we realized that Jesus realizes that his time has come. You know, that the hour, again, is right before him, and in a couple of hours he's going to be taken, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be uh, led, led away by the temple soldiers, he's going to be put on trial, he's going to be beaten, and then early the next morning he's going to be taken and he's going to be crucified. And all of these events, again, will transpire. And, and it's amazing right here because we really get the heart of Jesus, don't we? We get the heart of Jesus in knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that he cared for his own, he loved his own to the very, own, uh, to, to the very end. And we realize what that means. It certainly goes and it transcends beyond all of these events that take place, but it's talking about the cross that Jesus will give his life, again, as that perfect offering for sin, even though uh, these men uh, that happen to be before him will betray him. And this passage that our brother Tim just read is really love in action. You know, it shows us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, how he loved his own to the end. And it gives us a demonstration of what love really looks like, servant love. And I love this passage, and I hope, again, you'll find it, again, very encouraging. I, I hope you'll find it very edifying and helpful. And at the same time, very challenging. I think it'll, again, be encouraging, edifying, um, uh, helpful to you because we realize the depths of God's love, the depths of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at our lives many times with all the foibles, with all the change that still needs to happen in each one of our lives. And we wonder, how can God still love us? And here it is. You know, he loves these very, in many ways, unfaithful men right to the end, and he keeps again loving them. And I hope this will be encouraging to look to this great love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and at the same time, very challenging. You know, when we look at modern-day Christianity, modern-day Christianity is all about self. It's all about me. It's about all about, again, how I benefit. You know, it's not about us self-giving or self-loving other people. You know, but it's all about self. I had a pastor friend. This isn't a a different province and also a different, um, uh, uh, certainly um, a different city. And uh, he, he uh, phoned me and he lamented that uh, he had lost a major family that happened to begin in his church, you know, and he was really grieved over it. And the reason, again, why he lost this um, uh, family was not because of some doctrinal dispute. It's not because they had some interpersonal squabble that happens to be among the membership. But it was just basically there was a larger church that happened to begin in town that was fairly orthodox uh, that had more programs, and they wanted to go there. They, they wanted to, get, again, they loved what they had to offer. You know, I talked to a missionary just this uh, couple weeks ago. 
you know, and he lamented the fact that he had gotten a phone call from a gentleman who wanted to come out and help out in the ministry. And the ministry was just beginning. He was a church planner, and he was really excited on the phone and shared again his vision, shared what he wanted to, what wanted to happen. You know, and at the end, of, towards the end of the phone call, the gentleman on the other line asked, do I, how, how many children do you have coming out? And he says, we don't have any coming out. We are just planting a church. And he said, well, I really need to go to where there happens to begin children in a children's ministry. You know, and that's basically the attitude, isn't it? Even when people are looking for various different ministries that happen to begin in a church, they many times ask the pastor or ask a few people who happen to begin in leadership if they would consider starting these ministries. And the reason why is because church is all about me. You know, when you look at the modern sheep in the modern church, and it's all about me, what can you provide me? What ministries do you have available again to me? And, and it is amazing because churches are churches for the first time. And let me just say the first time in recorded church history are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, if you go back two or three hundred years, this is, this is a modern phenomenon. Not just to have one or two or three or four churches, but multiple churches of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And certainly if you have a church, again, of a thousand, two thousand people or even five hundred, six hundred people, you can offer more programs. But the question we have to ask ourselves is bigger, better. You know, do we really foster an attitude of servant love for one another? You know, do, do, do we have that? And think of your own self that happens to be again right here. If you move to a different city, you know, and you found maybe three or four different churches that had like doctrine, you know, in other words, you could join any one of them. What questions would you ask next? After you get through the doctrinal question, after you get through that these are good, solid, Bible-believing churches, what question would you ask next? You know, I think for most people, they would ask, what does it have for me? What can it provide me? Instead of asking the question, you know, what church can I best use my gifts, use my talents, use my abilities to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, because if it's all about his glory, it's all about his fame, it's all about, again, worshiping this great God, then how can I use those abilities to glorify him? You know, and I realize, again, when we talk about serving one another, you know, one anothering, you know, getting involved in various different ministries, it can be, again, difficult. It can be challenging. You know, and are we willing to do it? Because too often there's so few to do it, isn't it? Especially the, the messy ministries. I always find that you can find, uh, you, you can get about 10 or 15 people to do the very flashy ministries. Otherwise, ministries that everybody uh, uh, sees. But it's the ministries that are very messy, you know, such as washing other people's feet, you know, such as maybe changing the children that have to begin in the nursery, such as coming out, you know, maybe once every two months to clean the church, such as staying late because things need to be put back together after fellowship, you know, such as getting involved in the messiness of people's lives. You know, how often are we involved in those ministries? And I know the excuse. I know it. I know it. I used it myself. You know, if you happen to be younger, you know, the excuse is basically, I've got a growing family. I've only got so many hours in a week. And I realize that some, sometimes these are legitimate excuses. But I think, again, so often they're just fallback excuses. You know, I just couldn't care less. Somebody else can do this. I just do not want to do it. And for those who are older, you know, I get it. 
You know, the older you get, <laughs> the harder it is. It really is. You know, um, as, you, as you get older, your strength dissipates. Even your mental capacities did, uh, dissipate. And we realize that. And I think the attitude that happens to be, again, upon those who happen to be older is let's, let's just let the young people do it. You know, it's their time, it's their church, it's their effort that should be expended at this time. And there's a sense where that's right. You know, there's a sense where we just do not have the capacities and we don't have the energies like we did when we were younger. But let me ask you a question. Should we ever retire from the Lord's work? Should we ever throw in the towel and say that's enough? Should we ever say, you know, I am done with loving and serving other people? You know, so I really want us to look at this passage again tonight because we see something, again, so extraordinary that I think if we would recognize the enormity of what is happening, we would be shocked by it. And you can see that in verses 4 and 5 because it talks about Jesus and it says he rose up from supper, he laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, he tied it around around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. My wife and I were in, um, oh, what's it called, Hobby Lobby, a uh, little, little while ago. You know, and they have all these beautiful portraits. Some of them have scripture on it and everything else like this. And well, one of the pictures had the Leonardo DiCaprio, no, not Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo da Vinci. Uh-huh. Yeah, certainly not the other one. But they, but they had Leonardo da Vinci's famous portrait of uh, the Last Supper. And, and if you've ever see, seen it, you know, when you used to go, I, I guess this is back in the 70s, this is kind of dating me, in the 70s and 80s, you used to go to people's houses and they used to have a big picture of Leonardo da Vinci in the Last Supper. And it was amazing because when you look at it, it really is a masterpiece. You know, what he tries to do is he tries to capture every single one of the disciples, their character. So you have Jesus right in the middle of the table, and then you have John on one side, you have Peter on the other side, you have Judas, and he's got a little uh, bag of money who, uh, right uh, by him. And it, and it tries to capture the personality of every one. Now, if you've been around Bible-believing uh, churches for a while, you realize that that whole scene is unbiblical. And the reason why is because they're sitting on seats in a raised table. You know, and as we look at the Last Supper, again, it would have been on a low-lying table. You know, and any time you had any amount of people at a larger gathering, there was a need to wash people's feet. And the reason why is because you, 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 they had no socks in those days. You know, and what you would do is walk on these dusty streets, and if you had a larger gathering, and they're all gathered around one table, you would probably at some point get somebody else's feet really close to your head. And it, let me tell you, if you're trying to eat, that's not too appetizing. You know, so we see again this picture right here. And remember, Jesus owned no land. He owned no house. So this would have been a rented uh, uh, room in the vicinity of Jerusalem. And the owner, again, of that, that would have left a basin, would have left a pitcher of water outside with a towel. So somebody could take that position, you know, and wash the feet. And you can imagine the whole scene because we realize in the other Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, that the uh, apostles are taken up with their own grandeur. You know, they're taken up again with this idea that they want to be chief in the various, in, in the kingdom of, of uh, God to come. And so they're not even looking at that. They don't really want to even make eye contact with that basin because they don't want to wash one another's feet. And then something shocking happens. Jesus takes off his outer robe. 
he picks up again on this linen cloth and wraps it around his, his waist. And he takes the position of this lowly servant. And may I say it's the lowliest of, of servants. No Jew would be given this position because it was below a Jew to wash. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's how humble a position it was. And he can imagine him taking each one of the disciples' feet and washing it tenderly. And the reason why he washed it tenderly is because he's motivated. This humble servanthood is motivated by love. And I just want to get started on this passage of Scripture this afternoon, and we'll pick it up again next time we're, we're together. But I really want us to see some of the two things about the humanity of Christ. And I hope it will be challenging to us to really look at our own lives and see if the love of God is really translating in humble, loving service to other people. And then and the first thing that I want us to see is I want us to see the contrast between Jesus and Judas. Because you see that in verse number 2. Because look at what it says right here. It says, during supper, when the devil had already uh, put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray, to betray him. You know, and so we were given this little comment, and this is what I love about the gospel. You know, all, so, so often you're just not given the facts of what's going on. So often you're given commentary. You know, and right here is commentary by John. We have some words of the Lord Jesus Christ also here, but we have this commentary on John. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, why are we given this little nugget? You know, it really doesn't add anything to the story, does it? You know, as far as what takes place. So why are we given this? And we're given this because of verse number one, right? Jesus loved them to the end. And then we're given Judas. And it's to show the great contrast, isn't it? Because again, you can see it again so clearly that it happens to be right here because Jesus again loves them to the end. But Judas again has his hatred. He's consumed with hatred because he cares more about himself. We go from Jesus loving and serving to, G, uh, to Judas wanting to be served, wanting all advantage of life. You know, and it shows in this text that Judas is moved. You know, he's inspired by Satan. But we realize Jesus Christ is always moved by doing the will of his Father. And it translates, again, to loving other people. We have saw Judas already, you know, who happens to be, again, a corrupt criminal who happens to be, again, a thief. In the last chapter, remember the perfume was open, it was poured on the head, again, of Jesus. How dare they do that? This could have been sold uh, to, to feed the poor. And we realize why he said that, is he wanted to spend upon himself. But here's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is willing to empty himself fully, to spend his life for these, you know, uh, what we would call weak and unfaithful men. It's absolutely amazing to see the contrast that happened to begin right here. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to Judas, Judas is a sorry tale, isn't it? You know, and I think a lot of people, when they look at Judas, really feel sorry for him. And the reason why they really feel so sorry for him is because he is inspired by Satan. You know, and you can see that in that verse that we just read. Let me read it again. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And I do find it amazing that God of this world is the inspiration behind Judas's actions. You know, and we look at that again so often, but we realize as we read and go through this gospel that what comes to pass is none other than the sovereign will of God. And we always have to keep those two things in, in, in mind. Because I think when you look at Satan, Satan is a willing, unwilling participant. You know, and what do I mean by that? He's willing because he does exactly what he wants. He wants to destroy the 
Lord of glory. He wants to put to death none other than the Savior, the Lord that happens to be again of, of, the, uh, of, uh, of all sinners. You know, but the reason, but, but what comes to pass is right here, and this is where he's unwilling. He's an unwilling participant in the plan, the sovereign plan of God to come to pass. And may I say it's the same thing with Judas? You know, we shouldn't feel uh, uh, sorry for him. Way before this, he's a criminal. Way before this, he's a thief. Way before this, he's not a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he inspires, like, he is inspired by Satan. The reason why is because he wants to be. He wants to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Here's the great contrast. Jesus is motivated, inspired, filled by the Spirit of God to do the will of God. But this one is motivated, inspired to do the will of Satan and filled with Satan that he might betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's amazing, again, even as we see it lived out in the world, because we remember who Satan is. He is the God of this world. So if you happen to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your great treasure is, is God. You know, and that overflows again that all of a sudden our great treasure, even in the here and now, happens to be the people of God. We want to live. We want to love them. You know, we want to serve them. You know, but when you look at the world that happens to be again around us, that's why the great treasure of people that happen to be around here is 30 pieces of silver. You know, they don't want what God again gives them. They want more of this world, more of this life. And isn't it amazing that we've even taken a gospel? We talked, about, talked a little bit about this morning about the alterations in the gospel. But we've, we've made an alteration in the gospel that the most popular gospel that's being preached today, the most popular gospel, the most popular gospel that's being preached today is about having more of this world. You know, if you trust in Jesus, you can have it all. And why? Because just like Judas, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about my comfort. It's all about my glory. And it's incredible because when we really, again, are born again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, loving Jesus Christ, how can we tell we're loving the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it translates to all of a sudden that we're not only loving other believers, but we're willing to serve them in humble service, right? We remember the command that's over in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others, listen to what it says, count others as what? More significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own interests, but the interests of others. And I wonder how true that is in your life. How true is it? You know, how conceited are you? How often do you look around at the church of the Lord Jesus? Oh, I know there's a need there. Oh, I know there's something that I could do could be doing there. Oh, I know there's somebody again who needs a friend. Oh, I know somebody again needs encouragement over there. Oh, I know there's a ministry that it needs over there. I know, oh, I know they're short over there. And how often again do we look at those things and just shrug our shoulders and say, well, I'm going to let somebody else do it. I couldn't be bothered. You know, how often are we looking at the interests of others? You know, how often? Because I think a lot of times we make excuses again in my life. And here's a big excuse. I am just not gifted to wash other people's feet. I'm just not guilt, uh, gifted in these humble ministries that are given by God. I am just not gifted to get involved in the messiness of other people's lives. You know, and is that you? You know, do you count yourself again more worthy or more again higher than other people that there's certain things that you're just not willing to do? just not willing to get involved. I don't think, again, it's very difficult to, sh to see if we truly love God and we are truly growing in the grace of God. 
You know, how we see that is in humble service to one another, loving, humble service to, to one another. Here's Jesus Christ on the night in which he was betrayed, you know, took on that form. Think of it, of a servant and washed the disciples' feet. I mean, could anything give a picture of Christ's, again, glorious love? You know, in one way, it repulses us. In the other way, it tracks us. There's such this self-forgetfulness in order to serve others. Now, that's one way. The other thing that I want us to see, again, about this humility of Christ, and I want to see the humility of Christ and his great authority. And you can see that in verse number three, because look at what it says right here. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given, him, given all things into his hand, that he had come from God and was going back to God. And let me just stop right there. You know, I, I think identity is so important. I really do. I think, again, knowing who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ is so vital in how we live out the Christian life. You know, and so we ask the question, again, all the time is basically this. Who are you? If you had to define yourself, who are you? And I think it's so important. I think, again, the answer to that question is so much more higher, so much more nobler than we could ever really answer. You know, and here's a, here's a kicker in all of this. You know, so, so many people that happen to be in the world think that they are somebody. You know, I used to work in retail, and I'm not going to ask how, how many people work in retail, but I know if you ever worked with uh, serving other people, it's quite humbling. It really is. You know, and I can, I can remember in the shop that I worked at, they had, again, a lot of the expensive electronics behind glass. You know, and so if somebody wanted something, you had to unlock it, you had to open it up, you had to take that electronic item, and you had to march it up to the, to the front, you know, to the cashier. And the reason why is because, because they were, you know, everyone seemed to want to steal these things. And I can remember one of the gentlemen that I was working with, I was right, behind, right beside him at the time, he was opening up the cabinet, showing a gentleman it, and the gentleman said, thanks, and he took it out of his hand. He says, no, sir, I, get, I have to bring this up front. And the man turned to him, and he, you could see the anger that happened to be in his face, and he says, don't you trust me? And he says, no, no, this is store policy. It has nothing to do with trust. And then he said these words, and I'll never forget them. Don't you know who I am? And let me tell you, when you hear something like that, the arrogance that happens to begin in those words, we realize the arrogance that happens to be in those words because we realize that guy is just like everybody else. You know, he's no better, he's no worse, but he's no higher also. You know, and we realize that. And so if we had to describe ourselves, how would we describe ourselves? Now, when we talk about humility, when we look at a text like this, it's so easy to say, like, I am just a worm. You know, I'm just this awful sinner who has been saved by the glorious grace of God. Without that grace, I would be nothing, praise God. And if that's the way that we would describe ourselves, we're partly right. But let me tell you, we're not fully right. Because we have to realize that as blood-bought citizens of heaven, we couldn't have a higher position. Really. Think about it. We are children of God. We are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And guess what? One day we're going to rule with Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, when people look at us, I, I mean, looks can be deceiving. You know, I will one day rule with Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Then here's a better question. If you have that high of a position before Christ and before God, how should it affect your behavior? Because here's an amazing thing. Jesus knew who he was. 
You know, and you can see that in, in, in your text. With that background, let's read that verse again. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. And notice those words right there. It says, Jesus knowing. Think about it. Jesus had self-knowledge of himself. You know, Jesus in his perfect humanity, think about it again, he subjected himself to this great Father God that happened to be again above. He didn't use his omniscience, but here he knows perfectly well through the revelation of God the Father of who he is. He knows perfectly well. He's God in human flesh. He knows perfectly well what is going to transpire. He knows that Judas, that very night, is going to go out from the midst of them. He's going to betray him. He's going to be again taken. He's going to be beaten, but he's going to go back to his father. And when he gets back to his father, that glory that he had before the incarnation will be his again. In other words, all of the angels, all the realm of heaven, all the seraphim and cherubim will fly around Jesus and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we realize all of this is going to happen at Christ. We see his dignity. We see the height of who he is, and we see what he's going to suffer. We, we expect Jesus to say something like this. You know, here are these disciples, and they got their chests out, and they're, 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 they're wrangling for position, and we, we want Jesus to say something like this. Don't you know who I am? Can, don't any of you know who I am? Won't you bend down and wash the feet of the Lord of glory? In fact, we want to shout at the disciples and say, wash his feet. Look at the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is precisely the point. It's because of this, because of who Jesus realizes who he is, that he takes the form of a servant. You know, A.W. Pink, in his commentary, says this, it was not in, f- in forgetfulness of his divine origin, but in full consciousness of it. He he discharged his menial function as he divested himself of the form of God at the first, stripping himself of the outward glory attended on recognized deity and had taken upon himself the form of a servant. So now he laid aside his garment and girded uh, girded himself, assuming the guise of a household slave. Now listen to what he says next. For a fisherman to pour water over a fisherman's feet was no great condescension but that he in whose hands are all human affairs and whose nearest relation is the Father should thus condescend is of unparalleled significance. It is this kind of action that is suitable. Now think about it. Think about what he's saying because we would think the word would be unsuitable. It is this kind of action that is suitable to the one whose consciousness is divine. Not only does the dignity of Jesus vastly augment the beauty of the action, but it also sheds new light on the divine character. Right? It sheds new light on the divine character. It helps us understand something about the significance of Jesus Christ, of our God that we would never think. We think, oh, God doesn't want anything to do with me. 
Oh, how would God want anything to do with such a weak, such a feeble, such a miserable person, such as I? And if Jesus in his humanity loves me, certainly the Father doesn't love me. And then we have in the next chapter, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, this is none other than the character of our great God. And no wonder we, we draw near him in all of our firmities and all our weaknesses. This is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus knows who he is. And think of it, because of he knows who he is. Don't you know? No, no. Because of who it would be, he knows who he is. This is the most appropriate, most loving action that he can ever give. And let me tell you, it should change us. Shouldn't it? Because think of it. Here's Judas, and think of it, here's Judas, and his feet are washed, and he's looking down on Jesus as he washes his feet. Now, there's only two responses, isn't there? And the first one is, he can use this as an opportunity to exasperate his hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's obvious that Jesus is the Messiah. It's obvious he's done all these miracles. It's obvious, again, through his teaching. It's obvious, again, he even raised Lazarus from the dead. It's, it's, it's so obvious. But what can this man give me? If he takes the lowest position, the lowest of the lowest form of a servant, and here he is washing my feet, what can this man give me? And the answer, again, for Judas is nothing. And isn't that like the world that happens to begin around us? They mock and scorn. You worship a crucified Messiah, crucified God. It makes no sense to them, does it? You know, what can he give you in the here and now? And that's one response. One response, again, is just to exasperate our anger and our frustration at this kind of God and reject him wholly. The other is to be overwhelmed. Here I am taken up with my own self-importance. Here I am arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And here is God in human flesh. And he bends down to wash my feet. Look at how stained I am. I need what Jesus Christ offers. And let me tell you, that kind of love... That kind of response changes not only our relationship to God, but also to one another. And it becomes the clearest observable witness of the love of God in the world. Richard Phillips, in his commentary, writes this. He says, this being the case, how, how are Christians to display God to the world? And that's a great question. Is it by denouncing the wicked ways of the world? That's one of our favorite pastimes many times. We do not need to speak. We do need to speak truth to the lies of the culture, just as Jesus often confronted falsehood and evil. Do we display God by winning arguments with unbelievers? Jesus debated with false religious teachers, although we seldom see him arguing with common folk. But what about this? If Jesus, with his soul filled with the consciousness of deity took up the place of the most menial servanthood to wash his disciples' feet, then any authentic display of God must be characterized by humility, 
tenderness and sacrificial love. And if this is the truth about the God that we are called to glorify in the world, how we ought especially to take up the towel of Jesus in our marriages, in our home life, in our fellowship in the church. It is when the world sees us ministering with humble, tender love to the stinky feet of each other's lives, the places where there's pain, ugliness, failure, and need, that it will realize the Spirit of God is in our midst. To do this, just as Jesus took off his garments, we must take off all our pride, all our envy, and everything else that hinders us from taking up the basin to wash the feet of others. To be a servant of Jesus Christ is truly to love others and serve others. May we be moved so much by the example of the Lord Jesus Christ that we take up our basins and follow Jesus. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. What an amazing text. What a, God, what a, what a challenging example Jesus is in our lives. God, we're so often filled with self-importance, way more importance than we ever could have had or ever do have. God, I just pray that you would humble our hearts so much so that we would have that attitude, Lord, of loving your own and loving them to the end, that we would so be filled with wanting to do the Father's will, that we so be filled with your love, Lord, and loving you, that it would cause us to love your own and love them to the end. Lord, no matter what it means, no matter how humble a service, no matter how demeaning, that we would enter in on it, Lord, out of humble love for you. And may this be, Lord, the example that brings forth the gospel in many people's lives. We thank you so much for the opportunity of glorifying him in this way. Just be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.